right, welcome back, everybody. Another episode of the Praetor's Council podcast. First, I would like to apologize for getting this podcast out later than expected. Uh, I had a fairly busy week, it turned out, more busy than I thought I was going to be. So I'm sorry that this is late. I'm going to try my hardest to make sure that next week's is out to you on Thursday night. And hopefully moving forward, they will be on Thursday nights. If anything changes, don't worry. I will let you all know. So what happened since the last time we all got together? Well, there was a Modern Open. There was a SCG Modern Open in Dallas. And against what appeared to be all odds or all conventional wisdom, it was won by Peter Holman piloting four-color Death Shadow a deck that has not been seen in, oh god, I can't even remember the last time I saw anyone play this deck. The most I've seen of a Death Shadow card even be played is the blue-black Death Shadow build in Legacy. Um, so if you're not familiar with Death Shadow, and I don't blame you for not being, it is a four-color deck revolving around the namesake card, Death Shadow, which is a 13-13 one-mana black creature, but it says Death Shadow gets negative X, negative X, where X is your life total. So if you play this card when you are above 13 life, it will instantly die. So the goal is to get yourself to lower than 13 as quickly as possible. Now, how does it do that? It uses cards like Street Wraith, which cycles by paying two life, and it plays a bunch of fetches and a bunch of shocklands. It also plays things like Thoughtseize and Dismember, so things that allow you to deal damage to yourself to uh, lower your life total as fast as possible to play the Death Shadow. And then it controls the boards with things like Liliana, Fatal Push, um, Culligan's Command for Good Removal, but it's four-color because it utilizes Traverse the Uvenwald, which is a one-green sorcery that normally just searches for a land, but if you have Delirium, you can search for a land or a creature. So you're going to see weird things ran in this deck, like Mishra's Bobbles, that way you can get an artifact in the graveyard and draw yourself more cards because it casts for zero, and then you can sacrifice it. And then um, Peter was playing Tarfire, which is a tribal in an instant, so it counts as two creature types, which also helps for the fact that he was playing Termogoyf. Uh, but hands down, the spiciest card in his deck, which in the two matches that I was actually able to catch that Peter was on camera, he may have been on camera more, but I only saw two of them. I actually saw him win with this card, and I have never seen anyone play this card in a sanctioned version of Magic, nor have I ever seen it on camera, and wow is it spicy. It is called Gore Clan Rampager. It's two a green and a red for a 4-4 with Trample, but it has the Blood Rush ability for one and a green. So you can discard it, and target attacking creature gets plus four, plus four, and gains Trample till end of turn. So I saw him in one turn traverse with Delirium, grab the Gore Clan Rampager, target his Death Shadow, give his Death Shadow four, plus four, plus four Trample, and kill his opponent I believe the last round before he made it into top eight, or it may have been the round 
before that one, so two rounds before top eight. It was near the end. Um, he's also playing two Assassin's Trophy in a sideboard and a Phyrexian Revoker in a sideboard, which I found interesting because I I don't know if I've ever seen anyone play that card in modern outside of a uh, kind of like a, a taxes deck, so like a black-white taxes deck similar to what they have in uh, older formats. Um, but by far, the Breakout deck it's not really a breakout deck, um, because it's a deck that's been around forever. I've played it before. Um, it's a good deck, is Dredge. Um, so if you're not familiar with this one, if you're new to modern, or if you're relatively new to modern, um, you may not be familiar with how this deck works and why it's popping back up. The reason that it's back in the metagame, and back in the metagame so strong, is because of guilds of ravnica and the printing of creeping chill so creeping chill on its face doesn't look that great of a card but it is a monster in the dredge deck so the four mana sorcery uh deals three damage to each opponent and you gain three life so in modern it's 1v1 so three damage to your opponent you gain three life the main reason why this card is so good is you never want to cast it for four i have seen some people cast it because it is castable in the dredge deck this will make a little bit more sense why I say it is castable, um, is when it's put into your graveyard from the library, you can exile it, and you don't have to pay the mana cost for this card when you do that, and you get the same effect. It deals three damage to each opponent, and you gain three life. Now, you can't like cast Creeping Chill and then exile it from your graveyard. It has to go right from the graveyard, or right from your deck to your graveyard for you to be able to use this effect. So the trick with the dredge deck, and why it's called the dredge deck, is it uses a bunch of cards that have the dredge ability. So one of the namesake cards in the deck with the dredge ability is Life from the Loam. And what dredge is, is it'll say dredge, and it'll say a number next to it. And it says, when if you would draw a card, instead, you may put exactly, and then it's whatever the number is. So in the case of Life from the Loam, it says dredge 3. So at any point in the game where you would draw a card, so for your draw step for the turn, if you have any cards that say draw a card, you can put three cards from the top of your library, in the case of a card that would say dredged three, into the graveyard. And then if you do, you return the dredged card to your hand. So the ability works when the card is in the graveyard. Now, one of the sweet things about this deck is if you have multiple cards in your graveyard that say dredge, or when you do it the first time and you put more cards in the graveyard, uh, you can keep going with it. So a standard like turn for this deck is, let's say on turn two, you play your Cathartic Reunion. So one in a red, as an additional cost, you have to discard two cards and you draw three cards. So you cast your Cathartic Reunion on turn two, and we'll say you have two Life from the Loams in your hand. So in the addition, you discard both the Life from the Loams. So on the first two draws of your cathartic reunion so for the first card drawn and the second card drawn you could dredge both of those life from the loams instead so you would mill yourself for six return both the life from loams to your hand so if at any point between those first two you hit another dredge card say another life from the loam or a dark blast or stinkweed imp or golgari thug which are all the dredge cards that uh, the second place player, Ian Thorne, was having in his main deck 
or a Dakmore Salvage, which is a land that has dredge, you can dredge it instead of that third draw. So you want to be self-milling to either now hit your Creeping Chills, hit your um, Blood Gas, which can come back from the graveyard, your Narcamoebas, your Prized Amalgams. So it's a deck that's back with the addition of Creeping Chill, and people are also bringing back playing Shriekhorn. It is a deck that struggles very heavily against Graveyard Hate. Um, it does not have great plans if its graveyard gets taken away. It can still win through Graveyard Hate, depending on the Graveyard Hate. Now, what I mean by this is, in Modern, there's a few different, I would say, popular Graveyard Hate spells. If you're playing white, and you, as a deck, do not need or can sacrifice the access to your graveyard, the go-to graveyard hate spell is Rest in Peace, because it exiles both the graveyards, and cards don't end up going back into the graveyard, they just they stay exiled if they would go into the graveyard. If you're playing a deck that relies on graveyard hate, or your sorry, if you're playing a deck that relies on utilizing your graveyard, and... Um, which generally means that your deck has access to black. A lot of the times, you play Leyline of the Void because uh, if it's a Leyline and you have it in your opening hand, you can just put it on the battlefield on turn zero. You don't have to cast it. So even before you or your opponent takes a turn, you just get to put it on the battlefield. So if you see a deck like Dredge, um, that one in its own sideboard will play Leyline for the mirror. If you're playing... A deck that doesn't have access to white, doesn't have access to black, you're normally then going to be playing things like, in the case of Tron, you play Relic of Progenitus. Um, I have seen a lot of humans players, well actually not a lot of humans players, mainly just Zan Said. He, for this tournament, um, saw the Dredge Menace, I guess, coming in the distance, which was a pretty easy guess to make, honestly. Um, he was actually playing two Tormod scripts in his sideboard, which I thought was really interesting. Um, so the Humans deck is a deck that, while it looks like it would struggle heavily on mana, the lands, since a lot of their restrictions are, I want to cast creatures, um, the mana still works out really well, because you're, you play 37 creatures in your main deck, generally somewhere around there. So... Your lands like Ancient Ziggurat and Unclaimed Territory and Cavernous Souls that all have restrictions on only being able to cast creatures or they can only tap for colored mana when casting a creature. Tormont's Crypt is probably the perfect um, artifact or artifact for Graveyard Hate in this deck since it plays for zero and you just tap and sacrifice it and you exile all cards from a target player's graveyard. Um, as a humans player, you generally don't care about your graveyard you don't use it as a resource um it also gives you a good thing to do against dredge because you can time your graveyard removal um so you like for zero mana he can do it whenever he wants so he has full control over the dredge player's graveyard in this instance a good dredge player can sometimes make you sacrifice it kind of sooner than you would want to by forcing your hand but it's a give and take that you're willing to uh, do. And then probably the other, the two other 
graveyard hate cards that are most popular, I would say, are going to be Nile Spellbomb. So you see that a lot in black-based decks that still want to use their own graveyard. So a black deck that um, might be like black-green, like a Jun deck, so black, red, and green, will usually run it because you don't want to exile your own graveyard because you shrink Tarmogoyf, where you can crack Nile Spellbomb and... It also has an ability where you can draw a card with it when you sacrifice it, but you can target the other player and get rid of their graveyard. Similarly, in uh, green creature-based decks, you'll see Scavenging Ooze. Since it gains you life, it gets bigger, it's a creature, so it works for your strategy, and you pay a green and you can exile a card from target player's graveyard. That one's probably the worst against Dredge, because it's one card at a time at a cost of one mana. Now, you don't have to exile every card that a dredge player puts in their graveyard. There are certain ones you want to get, namely the dredge cards, and Conflagrate, which is another, it's a flashback card that they can win the game with. But it's also very slow, and that's one thing against dredge, is if you can't beat them, if you can't beat their graveyard at a reasonable pace, um, they will beat you. So... Yeah, other than that, for that tournament, other than four-color Death Shadow winning and Dredge being ever-present, I do think it is a little surprising that Tan and Grace had such good success with Mono Green Tron. He finished fourth, so that was a little interesting. Humans looks like it's back with a Vengeance. Um, that one I was a little bit surprised about since Guild's... The only card that they really gave to Humans was Knight of Autumn, which is an upgrade in your sideboard over Rex Age. Um, but other than that, I, I didn't see that many people may, I mean, maybe with, it may have a very good dredge matchup or a better one than I expect. Um, I've never actually played humans and I didn't, I, when I played dredge humans was not a deck in the sense that it wasn't, you didn't have the new cards that really solidified the humans archetype, your kite sail freebooters, your unclaimed territory, I'm sure there's people who were running around with, you know, tribal humans, but it wasn't the deck that it was right now. Um, yeah, so that was the SEG Modern Open in Dallas recap. There was also a classic that same weekend in Standard, and Standard is right now, from what I've been seeing, it is all about Golgari. That is the deck and all iterations of it are all over the place. I touched on that last week, um, so won't go into it as deep again this week, but basically, Golgari's good. Be ready for it in Standard. No one knows the best version of it yet still. And the Arc Light Phoenix deck, like I said last week as well, definitely here, here to stay. I actually don't know if anyone's figured out the best version of that yet. I know it started as a mono red, but I have seen is it? I've seen red. I've even seen snippets of Mardu, which is red, white, and black, for those of you who don't know. So I still think that, one, that deck has potential to shape out differently than people are expecting. And other than that, nothing's really happened in Standard yet, because we haven't had, like, a big, uh, huge Standard tournament, so we haven't had, like, a Pro Tour 
or anything yet for standard. Uh, that's in the distance. Um, the other thing that I did actually want to touch on this week is I recently taught um, one of my friends how to play Magic. And upon um, going over that, uh, I was telling him about some of the other formats. And it reminded me that a lot of people, because a conversation came up a little bit later about this, are not familiar with possibly one of the most fun and definitely one of the most interesting formats in all of Magic. So I thought this week I would uh, tell you guys about that before we get the results at the end of the weekend about the current tournament, um, another SEG tournament this weekend, which is Modern, of SEG Charlotte. So I thought I would talk to you about the EDH format. Um, so we can jump around here on Prater's podcast with formats and what's what, because, you know, we're a variety MTG podcast. We don't have to stick to... Um, you know, a certain format or whatever, because I like talking about all of them. I like playing all of them. Uh, so I thought I'd give you guys, you know, what you want. But if you guys want to, you know, maybe have a discussion about a certain format, certain formats over others, just let me know. Like I said, you can always hit me up personally or the um, account itself for the podcast on Twitter. I'll plug both of those at the end. So you know, stay tuned or skip ahead to there if you want that information. But on to EDH. So EDH, or commonly referred to nowadays as Commander, uh, both names are going to mean the same thing, but EDH stands for Elder Dragon Highlander. I think the coolest thing about this format is it was totally fan-made. A bunch of people way back in the day made up this format. It caught on so heavily that then Wizards started printing their uh, products specifically for EDH. It is not a tournament sanctioned by Wizards of the Coast, so you won't see, you know, a Pro Tour or a GP for EDH yet. Maybe they will eventually do it, but I don't know if there's any plans in the works. Um, that's not to say that people don't run EDH tournaments, and there are EDH tournaments um, as side events at GPs and things like that. But you're not going to see pros on-camera coverage unless it's some special event or a stream or something of people playing this format. But besides the point, so how would you play EDH or Commander? So the basic deck building rules are you have a 100-card deck that is all singleton, and all the cards must fall in a color identity. So uh, the only cards that you're allowed to have multiples of in your deck are basic lands or cards that specifically state on the card you can have as many of that card in your deck that you want. Um, so certain cards like that would be Shadowborn Apostles and Relentless Rats. Uh, they specifically modify the rules in all formats. So, you know, you know, 10 of them in a modern deck instead of the original four. You can have 50 of them if you want an EDH deck instead of the one copy. So the other thing I mentioned is color identity. What I mean by that is each commander deck can only have colors for the card. That means in the mana cost, 
in the activation cost or any other costs on the card. Uh, specifically in the same colors or combination of colors as the commander that you're playing. Your commander has to be a legendary creature or a pair of legendary creatures as long as they have the, and this is a relatively new thing, the partner ability on them. So there are certain commanders that say partner, which means you can play them with any other card that says partner, or there are others that say partner with, and it specifies a certain creature. So for an example, there's a card called Vile Smasher the Fierce, which is one black and red, and it has the partner ability. A very common pairing with this card is another partner commander, who is Thrasios Triton Hero, who is a blue and a green. So if your commander deck was being piloted by both of those two creatures, the other 98 cards in this case, since you have two of the 100 total cards in the command zone, can either be any combination or mono of red, black, blue, and green. So you're playing a four-color deck, but you have two different commanders instead of playing a legendary creature that is all four of those colors. And there's legendary creatures in every combination from mono of each five and even uh, colorless legendary creatures as well, all the way up to five colors. So you can play anywhere from one, two, three, four, or five. There are also some commanders that um, can look like they can be played as one color, but actually can be played as different ones. So one uh, popular example of this is Joda Archmage Eternal. So to cast Joda, you pay one and then Jeskai colors, which are blue, red, and white. But Joda has an ability that says you can pay, it's called Wooberg, it's a one of each color, so white, blue, black, red, green, or W-U-B-R-G. So, little tidbit for you. So if you pay five for its ability, you can pay that to cast any card, regardless of that card's normal mana cost. This allows you to actually play Joda as a five-color commander. So you can either play it as a Jeskai commander, a blue-red, a blue-red-white, or a five-color commander. It all depends on if you actually want to cast Joda or not. So you could actually technically play him as a uh, mono-green commander. You're never going to cast him in your deck, but I actually, I know a kid who does that. He plays a mono-green Joda Archmage Eternal deck, and he probably catches a lot of people by surprise because no one would see it coming. Um, there is also a few cards that are actually Planeswalkers that let you play those as commanders instead. Uh, they all specify on the card that the Planeswalker can be played as a commander, there are, off the top of my head, I think either six or eight of them. There may be more, but I can't think of them all right now. Um, there's the original four, which are all monocolored ones. There was two more that were printed in Battle Bond. They also can be partnered with each other. It's Will and Rowan Kenrith. One is mono red and one is mono blue. Um, and I can't, I don't know if there's any others. Now, there there are technically the flip 
planeswalkers, but those already start as a creature and then flip into a planeswalker. Um, what I mean by a planeswalker being able to play as your commander is it's always a planeswalker. Um, it never turns into a creature. So, yeah. So, the reason why this format is very, very fun is um, it's singleton, which you would think gives you less flexibility, but it actually gives you way, way more. Um, and also, the decks are bigger, so it does give you more flexibility there. But there's a lot of cards that are very, very good in Commander that wouldn't be good in other formats, just due to the fact that it's a four-player game, usually, and games take longer, and there's just a lot... There's a lot more things that you can do. In a game of Modern, you're usually going to win by somewhere between turn three and six, and depending on your deck. And while that is possible in Commander, um, to win by turn three or six, you generally won't run into that unless you're playing against very heavily constructed Commander decks or even competitive level Commander decks. Um, and Commander is definitely a format where you can play it on the cheap because a lot of the cards in Commander are cards that, like I said, aren't played in other formats, so they're generally not as expensive. That's not to say that there aren't cards in Commander that are very expensive or are played in other formats. Um, pretty much all the good blue cards in other formats are also still good in Commander. Your Force of Wills, your blue cantrips, Snapcaster Mage, things like that. But in some cases, they're less good in a format where you can only run one of them. Um, on the other hand, cards that aren't as good in other formats, because there's better options, become very good in Commander because you can't run, you know, I can't run four Force of Wills in my Commander deck, but I can run a Force of Will and a four-mana Counterspell and another five-mana Counterspell and a weird three-mana Counterspell that no one plays. You can do things like that. Also, you can really kind of show yourself as a player in EDH, which I like, since the deck is a 100-card singleton, and one thing that people really, really like doing is they like building their decks around themes. So I've seen everything from... Um, there's, you know, your common themes in Commander, which you're going to hear terms being thrown around if you play uh, Spellslinger, usually a blue-red it deck that plays a lot of instants or sorceries. Um, tribal is another theme, so you can have every, pretty much any tribe ever. You can figure out a way to play it in Commander. And some of the pre-cons are actually built around tribes. Um, there's things like vampires, cats, walls, birds knights you name it there's probably a deck out there for it there's probably a commander super friends which is just play as many planeswalkers as you want that's a pretty cool theme um that one's a little bit pricier just because planeswalkers are weird but that's not to say things like spell slingers can't be pricey it's also not to say that things like these can't be cheap there's plenty of budget options for cards out there um since the card pool for commander stretches all the way you know, pretty much forever. Um, it does have its own ban list. The ban list for Commander is kind of weird because you have some by Wizards of the Coast, which are for one versus one Commander, and then you have a independently run 
ban list for Commander. That's the one most people go off of. Uh, but then depending on your own playgroup or where you play at, certain people may have house rules. And because it's not a sanctioned format, uh, that's totally cool. You can play with house rules no problem if you want. So it's a super fun format that allows for a lot of creativity and a lot of different ways to play the game. Even if you sit down from someone who happens to be playing the same commander as you, their deck could be wildly different. Um, their deck could also be the same. I've played many different commander decks between ones that other people have, ones that I own, and I I love the format. It is super, super cool, and I, that is one format that I definitely wish that I had more time to play. Um, I always wish I had more time you know, to play Magic in general. Uh, but that format especially is definitely just a cool one. It's also a format that does have a very, very easy jumping off point. If you do find yourself interested in the Commander format, I, do, I think one of the easiest things that you can do by far is go to your local game store, or in this case, you can go to a big box store like a Target or a Walmart, and buy one of the $40 pre-constructed commander decks. I would look at them first uh, to see maybe if there's a theme or a color combination that appeals to you more than others, but they are out-of-the-box playable commander decks that you can shuffle up, jump into a casual game of commander, learn how to play, and your deck will work with itself. It's also a good way to start getting you know, a commander deck going. Um, they have staples in them that would be used across multiple decks. And especially if you're building one that might be a tribal deck in case of some of the older ones that came out or things like that, it does give you a good base. You're still going to use a lot of those cards even out of the pre-cons. Um, now granted, if you already know maybe what you want in building a commander deck, you should either you should just get singles from your LGS or, you know, from somewhere online your TCG player, your card kingdom. You guys know where to go to get cards. I don't need to tell you that. Um, if you don't, TCG player, card kingdom probably, or somewhere else. Someone may know a better place depending on where you live. But like I said, super cool format. Um, I, every once in a while, will try and be like, well, if I was going to build another commander deck, what would I build now? Um, and since I don't have tons of time to play, uh, doing the responsible thing, not building one yet. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, it's it's a it's a great format. I love it. Um, I gave you you know like a quick overview. Uh, I didn't really talk strategy or anything like that. If you maybe want a more strategic commander discussion, then that can definitely be a future episode. Maybe on another slow week. Maybe instead of a recap. I don't know if you guys like those. Um, still waiting on some more feedback. Uh, I think it's a cool thing to do, kind of let people know what's going on in the tournament-sanctioned world, but it is possible that you, my listeners, might not be as into that, and that's fine. I can always adjust the podcast for your tastes. Um, I'll still give you guys a little bit about what I want to talk about, but if there are things you guys would like to hear over others, I will definitely cater to your whim my ever-loving public. Uh, I believe that that is going to be it 
for us this week. Like I said, I apologize for this getting out two days later than what I wanted to. I truly am sorry. Uh, like I said, hopefully next Thursday should be out for you guys uh, the day after Halloween. So start your November off right with the Praetors on the Praetors Council. Oh, also, actually, before I end the podcast, here's something that I can let you guys all know about um, that I just remembered. Some of you may be wondering, who are the Praetors on said Praetors Council? Well, like I said, I'm Nicknacks96, but if you want to refer to me by my Praetors name, um, is Jingataxis. And what I mean by that is, in Magic, there are uh, creatures with the creature type Praetor on them. And I figured that I, for the fun, would let you guys know uh, what those are. So, uh, starting off, the, there's a Praetor for each color, by the way. I should make that clear. Um, so there's a blue one, a white one, black, green, and red. So there's a Praetor for each color, a blue one, a black one, a red one, a green one, and a white one. And being the host of the podcast, and a little shout out to the person who taught me how to play magic, I'm deciding to take it upon myself to be the blue praetor. So I will explain myself, and as hopefully we either have other guests or other people join the podcast, I will save the other ones for later. Now, you can always go and look these up yourself, but I think it'd be a fun little thing. Let's see how long it takes until we get through all of them. So me being the Blue Praetor, Jingataxis, Core Augur. I cost 10 mana. I'm a, I'm a big kid. I'm a big boy here. Uh, 8 and double blue for a legendary creature, Praetor. If you're playing Commander, I can be your Commander. I can also go in your Commander deck. I'm pretty good. Uh, quick note, if you play the Praetors in Commander, you will most likely make a lot of people a little bit salty on some of them. Uh, me being one of them. I'm a little bit more of the salty side. Uh, I'm not as bad as the green one. That is one that if someone plays that in Commander, pretty much the whole table cries and complains. Um, so you might want to stay away from that one, Commander. Although, some people really enjoy in Commander uh, just making people sad. So it's definitely a play style. So, you know, play how you want to play. But back to me. Uh, I have Flash, which means I can be played at instant speed. So if you're holding up 10 mana uh, on your opponent's turn, you can just, boom, throw me in there. Uh, so what do I do? I, at the beginning of your end step, so that'd be the person controlling Jingataxis, uh, you as that player, you draw seven cards. Really good right there. Refill that hand. And on top of that, each opponent's maximum hand size is reduced by seven. So how this works is... Uh, your opponents now get to play with no cards, so if they're holding any cards in their hand at their end step, they have to discard them all, unless they have something that gives them no maximum hand size, and you on your end step 
just draw seven cards. So it's really good in a deck that wants to draw a lot of cards, um, might be winning with wheels of some kind, uh, things like that. And it also has a okay body. It's 5-4. And uh, in case you're interested, my flavor text is, it is not a goal, but a process. The process of creating the perfect Phyrexian. Uh, it's a sweet card. And like I said, it's a shout out because the person who taught me how to play Magic, my good friend, Troy Wilmer, uh, actually gave me a signed copy of this card that I unfortunately no longer possess because I traded it away or sold it at some point in the past because unfortunately I didn't use it. Um, I do feel bad. Uh, I do plan on getting another signed copy, and I will actually probably have Troy sign it as well, um, just as like a kind of homage to be like, hey, thanks for teaching me this really cool game. Um, I'll probably also have to buy a Mogus God of the Slaughter, which is another card that he gave me, and I'll probably get him to sign that one too. Um, he was just, he had a collection of cards. He didn't need either of those cards, and he was just like, I can just help my friend out and give him these not super expensive cards uh, because he wasn't using them. And it was a really cool gesture, and it is definitely one of the cards that I always feel bad about trading away. Um, I think I asked him beforehand. I was like, hey, uh, I don't know if I'll ever be able to use this card, but do you mind if I trade it? And he was like, jokingly, like, oh, no, you can't trade that. And then he told me it was fine. He didn't really care. So I was like, oh, thank God. But, yep. Uh, that's me, Jenga Texas Court Auger. Hopefully, within the next coming week or so, we may see one of the other colored Praetors, um, and you'll get to find out more about them if you don't care to look them up already. Uh, I like them. I think they're pretty sweet. They are spicy, and some of them are really good in Cube, which is a format that maybe we'll talk about next time. We'll definitely cover it sometime in the future, and uh time for some plugs now so like i said you can find me personally on twitter at nicknacks 96 it's all lowercase it's n-i-c-n-a-x 96 tweet me with questions tell me how if i'm doing good tell me if i'm doing bad um uh, yeah you can find the podcast on soundcloud at creators podcast you can also find us on the anchor app at Creators Podcast. Search us. We'll be there. You can also tweet at the podcast, at Praetors, with a capital P. That's P-R-A-E-T-O-R-S, and then another capital P, so Praetors P, on Twitter. We're there. Um, if you can't find the podcast, you can find me, and I can point you in the right direction. So, once again, thanks for stopping by, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>